And uh, today our title is, Who is Able to Dwell with God? Who is Able to Dwell with God? And this is a humongous question. Uh, Everyone needs to ask this question and think through, is it possible to dwell with God? How could I dwell with God? And uh, Psalm 15 answers that in some wonderful ways. Uh, For we who gather here today as Christians, we understand the way to dwell with God is through Jesus Christ and what a gift it is to be able to come and to worship together, to sing his praises, to rehearse uh, the truths that he's given us. We're so thankful for him and we want to honor him today in, in all that we do. Uh, I want to give a little bit of background about Psalm 15. If you're uh, new here or you're visiting or you haven't been here in, in a few weeks, um, we are going through the book of Psalms, uh, just 1 through 41, chapters 1 through 41. And we're doing that because it helps us understand what each one is about. A lot of people think that Psalms is like they're individual things just kind of thrown together, but really they're telling a story. And so I want to give a, a little bit of background about Psalm 15. Uh, as we get going today and share maybe three important things with you. Um, so, so first, Psalm 15 starts with two questions that are all about how and who uh, can dwell in the presence of the Holy God. And those two questions come out of uh, two, two things. One is the desire to not only know God, but to dwell with him. Think about the difference with that, right? We can know that God is the creator. We can know that God exists. We can know that God sent Jesus, uh, but we can also know him interpersonally. We can have a relationship with him. And so these words we'll see in verse one, dwell uh, is about knowing him in all of life, about walking with him. So not only uh, during that mountaintop moment years back that you had, but also in all of life, uh, even in the times Uh, that are dark and lonely defeats. In all of life, we can know God. And that's what David's asking. He wants to ask, how how can I dwell with God in all of life? Not just sometimes, but all the time. And then secondly, it's the recognition as he's asking these questions that we are, because of our sin and our brokenness, we are unworthy apart from forgiveness, right? We're human beings, we're sinners. And so how can we approach a holy God? And we think of Isaiah 59, 2, that says, your sin has made a separation between you and your God. And so how do, how do we close that gap? Can we close that gap? And we know that we can't, but only Jesus can. So Psalm 15, these two questions come with a deep desire to know the Lord and then a deep humility as well. Like we can't get there without the Lord, so we need the Lord, which is a wonderful way to intro this and with these two questions. Uh, another thing to share about Psalm 15 is that it starts a new section in the book of Psalms. So we've seen Psalm 1 through 14 already, and then Psalm 15 through 24 is about the tension. This is really cool. It's about the tension between our faith in the Lord Jesus and then the difficult things that happen in this life. And there's a lot of people who are like, I love the Lord, but difficult things are still happening. So what's going on? I thought you loved me, Lord. And he's like, he's never promised an easy life for us. He's just promised faith amidst the easy life. And that is so life-changing and game-changing for our mentality as we recognize heaven is ahead. It's not now, right? Through Jesus Christ. And so, so that tension and it's building, it's this bright section of pointing toward King Jesus. As we get all the way to Psalm 24, we're going to see King of Glory mentioned multiple times. So this whole section is pointing toward him. And we just have this, this tension between faith in him and then difficult days. 
Faith in him and bad things happening to good people. Faith in him and bad leaders doing wicked things. That is life. And the Psalms are so wonderfully honest. And it helps us recognize that God knows us. He knows what we need. He knows knows that we need to learn how to pray using the Psalms. So he gives us that. And so a question for us as we get going today is, do you want to dwell with God while you're here in this dark world? Do you want to dwell with God while you're here in this dark world? And I know your answer is hopefully yes. David's answer is for sure yes. It's why he's asking this question this morning. And so I want to give us this big idea today as we look at Psalm 15. The big idea is this. We dwell with God through forgiveness and new life from Jesus Christ. All right, that's how we dwell with God. There's no other way to do it. The scripture is absolutely clear about that. We dwell with God through forgiveness and new life from Jesus Christ. We can't do it on our own. We can't just make it up. We can't try to make ourselves feel uh, close to the Lord. We can't try to make ourselves close to the Lord. We can't absolve ourselves of our sins. He does that for us. He gives us forgiveness, and then he gives us new life through Jesus. So here's the third thing I want to share about Psalm 15 as we get going. If you were to just read Psalm 15, not having read Psalm 1 through 14, not having read the New Testament, not having read the rest of the Bible, if you were to just land on Psalm 15, you could read Psalm 15 and think, I can dwell with God by being a really good person, right? It's just five verses. And if you read it real quick, you could skim through it even while I'm talking and be like, yeah, I could see how people could make that enormous error. You read it and it seems it's very much about works, right? If I do these things, even at the end, he who does these things shall never be moved, right? The way to be saved, the way to, be, to, to have forgiveness is, is by living a good life. We could read it that way and it would be completely wrong, right? So we want to help you through even how you come to texts like this and think, wow, this whole psalm kind of reads like that, so, so what's up? But we, that's one reason we're going through the psalms chapter by chapter. We get it in context. It protects us from, from taking something out of context. So there's, there's two terrible errors we would make if we just read it out of context. The first one is you can dwell with God without Jesus. That's the first terrible error, like totally false, right? You cannot dwell with God without Jesus. You can only dwell with God with Jesus, all right? And then the, the true God. And then the second error is I can dwell with God by being a really good person. And y'all realize how many people how many friends we have, how many family members we have, how many people all over the world are making both of those errors all the time. And our heart, our hearts for them, right? We want them to know the Lord. Our hearts for ourselves also, we don't wanna, we don't wanna make these errors. We wanna dwell with God through Jesus and do that well, right? So verse one helps us uh, and, and our knowledge of Psalm one through 14 prevent these two errors. And so here's the first point today. It's that Jesus frees you to life with God, all right? Jesus frees you to life with God. Very emphatically, all the points today start with Jesus, right? Jesus frees you to life with God. This idea that we don't have life with God and that the only way to get life with God is through Jesus Christ. So Jesus frees you to life with God. Verse one, here's the two questions. It says, a Psalm of David, O Lord, who can sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill?" So there's the two questions. The desire there is to dwell with the Lord, not just know him, but to walk with him, to to sojourn with him while we're here, not yet in heaven. David's eager to dwell with God, not just attend, not just associate with God, but not just to pray occasionally. He's recognizing he needs God. He's recognizing we need God. He's recognizing he wants to walk with God, and so do we. So 
some really cool things about verse 1. Both of these questions are rhetorical questions. And a rhetorical question is when you already know the answer, right? He knows the answer to it. He's not, he's not, um, he's not asking this as if he doesn't know the answer already. He already knows the answer. So how does he already know the answer? Well, the answer to both of these questions is in Psalm 2, verse 6. Psalm 2, verse 6. And in Psalm 2, verse 6, in Psalm 2, God the Father is talking about how all the nations are raging against God. All the nations are doing all of these wicked worldly things. And David's like, what's up with this? And then God says, I have set my king, meaning Jesus, on my holy hill. That is such a key verse in the entire book of Psalms. God the Father saying, of God the Son, I have set my king on my holy hill. So when David asks, who shall dwell on your holy hill? David already knows the answer. The answer is the promised one, Jesus Christ, who for David was future for us, is past and and present also, right? But David's faith is in this coming king and the promise about him. So he knows the answer. Who shall dwell there? Jesus. And so for me to dwell there, I've got to have a relationship with Jesus. Right, the second thing David recognizes is Psalm 8. We talked about Psalm 8. And in Psalm 8, David is meditating on the fact that it's so awesome that creator God wants to dwell with the human beings that he created. So it says, who is man that you are mindful of us, that you care for us? David's meditating in that moment. And so he realizes that not only he wants to dwell with God, but God wants to dwell with him. Not only do we want to dwell with God, God wants to dwell with with us. And then as we go forward in the Psalms, we'll see Psalm 19 and 24 build on Psalm 15 also, right? With this king of glory and who he is in our lives built on him. So, so then the question is, if David knows the answer to these two questions, why is he asking? Like, why do we ask questions that we already know the answer to other than to reinforce the answer for us, right? That's exactly what David's doing. David, y'all, is out of breath. We talked about it from Psalm 1 through 14, really Psalm 3 through 14. Uh, he dealt with Absalom, his son, trying to kill him and trying to take his throne. That was through verse or chapter 9, and then, or chapter 8, and then chapters 9 through 14 is about the wickedness in this world and the prevalence of wickedness and the, and the uh, ascendance of wicked voices in this world, taking over things, uh, even exploiting the weak and the poor. David's not okay with it. He's tired of it. He's trying to to abide through it, but he's out of breath. And so in this out of breath time, what does David do? He meditates on who his king is. This is really powerful because David is a king, right? God literally anointed David and said, you are the king. And actually from your throne and from your line will come the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So David could have been like, I'm kind of a big deal, right? But he's not saying that at all. He's thinking, I can't dwell with God without this King. And so in the midst of his deep breath, he's reminding himself of who the king is, and his name is Jesus. That's his meditation. The king isn't David. The king isn't the wicked people in this world, even the kings of this world. The king is Jesus. And Jesus frees you to life with God, even in the midst of life here and the darknesses and difficulties that we face. Jesus frees you to life with God. So why is David re-asking this? It's because the reality of our need to dwell with God while in this broken world continues. The reality of needing to dwell with God while in this broken world continues. And so David asks this question. Y'all, we are consistently broken by brokenness, right? 
We are consistently tempted by temptations. We're, we're worried about worries. We're slavishly selfish. And we're languishing without God's leadership. And so Psalm 15 is a meditation for the people, all of us, who are facing that, who are feeling that, who are going through these things. But now Psalms is shifting and it's really pointing all the more toward the Lord Jesus and who he is. So who is on God's holy hill? It's Jesus. And how can I dwell there? Only through Jesus. So it's David kind of establishing his heart saying like, life is hard, life is dark, things are difficult. It doesn't seem that they're ever gonna let up, but Jesus is my king. He's meditating, he's worshiping, and he's, and, and he's looking right at Jesus on God's holy hill. So powerful. What a powerful way to start this meditation as he's rebuilding himself here. And so out of that rebuilding, he's thinking, all right, this is how I'm then going to live. Because Jesus is my king and this world isn't my king and I'm not even the king. Jesus is the king. I'm going to live the way he lives. I'm going to honor him. I'm going to live in his kingdom ways. So the rest of the Psalm 15 feels a lot like the Sermon on the Mount. It's a kingdom ethics sort of stuff. But notice, this isn't like, I can work, I can do my works, I can be a good person and be saved. This isn't how to be saved. This is how to walk with God and how our character is walking with God also and proving that we can walk with him at all times. So here's what I wanna do with these next few points. I'm gonna share the big idea again and then kind of finish it, okay? So because we dwell with God through forgiveness and new life from Jesus Christ, Next, Jesus transforms your lifestyle, all right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give that kind of flow for the, next few, for the next few points and verses, all right? So we have this, Jesus is my king. I'm following him as my king. I'm not following this world's ways on purpose. I'm not gonna abide in their wickedness. I'm gonna abide in the Lord. I'm not gonna abide in their ways. I'm gonna abide in the Lord because Jesus is my king. So first we see when Jesus is our king, Jesus transforms your lifestyle, verse two. So verse two says, he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and who speaks truth in his heart. So who can dwell in God's holy hill, right? Who can, who can uh, be in his tent? It's he who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. This person is saved. This person believes in Jesus, but this person is following Jesus and living in his ways. So y'all, because of Jesus, uh, this, this psalm is so strong. Because of Jesus, no longer do we do we just do what the world does? And David's feeling that. He is, so, he is so smothered by the ways of this world and he's thinking, no, I'm gonna live for Jesus. So we do what is right according to God's word, no longer according to opinions or our own feelings, right? We do what is right no longer according to this world's definitions of right. We do what is right uh, with heart from Jesus, with a mind for God's word. And we're firm in that because we do what is right, and we speak truth to our heart about what that truth is. I heard a story this week of um, an atheist employee uh, who worked for this big company in a big city, and this employee made an enormous mistake in an industry where her mistake would have meant immediate firing and likely industry expulsion. Like, you can't work in this industry anymore because you made the mistake you made. Big mistake, right? But her boss took the blame for her mistake, which is just unheard of, especially in that industry that she was in. And because of his act, and because it was unheard of, and because she had never experienced anything remotely like that, she was shocked and thanked him and said to him, my bosses have taken credit for my work, 
but you took the blame for my mistake. Why? And, and her boss was like, really, you don't have to thank me. I'm happy to do it. I want you on the team. Um, I recognize you're learning. And she said, no, no, I, I, I appreciate that. But really, I want to know why. Like, why would you do something so bizarre, so out of the norm for this industry and, and even for, for human beings? He's like, listen, I'm just, I'm happy. I'm happy to have you on the team. Uh, I'm happy that uh, I can help you in this way. And, and just, you know, let's not make the mistake again. And he took the hit for her with, with his boss. And she said, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But seriously, why, why would you do that? And he goes, okay. Um, since you asked, I'm a Christian. And my whole life is built on how Jesus took my mistakes. And her response to that was, where do you go to church? That's awesome. So this guy, he's in this industry where every other boss does what every other boss had done to his employee. But because he's a Christian, He didn't live by that worldview that was within that little industry. He lived by the Christian worldview because his king is Jesus, not himself, nor that industry. He walked blamelessly, did what is right. He spoke truth to his heart. He's like, you know what? I'm going to have to take a hit for this, but this is the right thing to do in this situation. So because he's Jesus-focused, he was gospel-oriented in the way he interacted with one of his employees. Jesus transforms your lifestyle. Jesus transforms your lifestyle because we dwell with God through forgiveness and new life from Jesus Christ. Jesus transforms your lifestyle. Here's another thing he does. He transforms your impulses from verse three. And y'all are like, impulses. Oh boy, I got some of those, right? I I say some things, I do some things, I got some impulses. Yes, Lord Jesus, transform my impulses. So here's verse three. Verse three says, uh, who does not slander with his tongue, who does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend? (laughs) All right, so what are the three things there? One is slander. The second one is returning evil for evil. Someone does something evil for you, you're like, I'm gonna get you back, man, right? Evil for evil. And then the third one, picking up a reproach, that means holding grudges. It means holding grudges and, and seeing someone do something and you're like, I'm gonna pick that up and I'm gonna use that against you later. Or I'm gonna pick that up and I'm gonna let it become this, this stewing bitter brew within me that's just gonna make our relationship so toxic because you did that thing to me back in the day, right? That's what the third part of verse three is talking about. But here in verse three, we see restraint. And not only restraint, we see revision. The person who walks with the Lord, the person who dwells with the Lord, the person who's forgiven through Jesus, who looks at him as king, has had his or her life transformed, Not only transformation of lifestyle, but transformation of impulses. So I think like, hmm, how can I illustrate impulses? Like, is there someone in the scripture who is really impulsive? Oh, better yet, is there there one of Jesus' disciples that was really impulsive? And who would that be? right? It's Peter, right? We love Peter because Peter is so honest and he just says things and he asks the questions we want someone to ask and he, he kind of disagrees while he's learning and then he's like, oh yeah, okay, I get it. And then he doesn't get it and he does things just like us, right? But maybe he's a loud, little louder than most of us. And uh, he was so impulsive and we appreciate that. He's got this balance of faith and like trying to figure it out. It's so incredible. So do y'all remember um, when Jesus tells Peter that Peter's going to deny Jesus three times? Remember that? We just read it this past week about reading plan. And uh, Peter's like, to the omniscient king of kings and lord of lords. Peter's like, no, I won't, right? Never, Lord, right? Like, never, Lord, which is an interesting, right, phrase. And then what does Peter do? 
he denies Jesus three times. And uh, you know what Jesus didn't do in response to that? Jesus didn't then say about Peter, can't trust Peter, because that would have been slander, right? He didn't do that with Peter. Um, He also didn't say, I'm going to deny you back, evil for evil. He didn't do that either. Um, And he also didn't hold it against Peter forever. Instead, what did Jesus do? He restored Peter. He restored him. And do you know what that did to Peter? It transformed him. That moment transformed Peter, right? Peter went from pride, meaning like, I got this. Jesus, I'm not going to deny you, right? I got this. You say I'm going to deny you, but watch this, Jesus. I'm not going to deny. He went from pride to wanting and needing to dwell with Jesus because he realizes he needs Jesus' strength. And Peter went from fearing others, like those three people who pointed out, hey, you've been with Jesus. He's like, no, I haven't. He was afraid of the consequences. He went from fear to being very bold with the good news of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and life with God. Jesus transformed Peter's impulses. Jesus transforms our impulses. He transforms your impulses. So let him, when he's your king, he's gonna, he's gonna transform you. Here's the, here's the next one. Jesus transforms your truth. Jesus transforms your truth, all right? From verse 4a, he transforms your truth. So look at this. This is, this is big. This is huge. It says, in whose eyes a vile person is despised. Who's the person who can dwell with you? Who's the person that can be in your tent? The person who's in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but, whose honor, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Y'all know one thing our world is, is just really um, confused about right now is what is right and wrong, what is true and what is false what is okay with God and what is not okay with God, even when it's really clear in the scriptures. And we're like, man, I, I, don't, I, don't, know if I, I don't know if I have the guts to say it quite like that, so instead I'm gonna do one of two things. I'm gonna, I'm gonna coddle or I'm gonna condemn. And uh, all of us understand the condemning, it kind of looks like this or like pointing from a self-righteous perspective. And coddling is like, it's okay. It's almost like you're petting them, right? Like, it's okay. But y'all, that's a really hollow type of love. If God in his word... That is vile. And so the person who is righteous and who's dwelling with God has this strength to be like, this is your word and this is what it says, Jesus, and I'm gonna follow you. You wanna save people from that. You wanna redeem them from that. You wanna rescue them from that. So afraid of being, instead of being afraid or instead of being weak, I'm gonna love with truth. I can be objective about these things, especially when your word is objective about these things. I'm not gonna coddle. I'm not gonna be gray but I'm also not gonna be a jerk. But I'm also not gonna relax the truth. I'm gonna speak truth in love. I'm gonna have truth with grace. Right, so I think, I think of a Christian who is able and willing to be bold to call sin, sin, right? Uh, because we're, recogni- we're recognizing like what the Bible says isn't some form of human opinion that we might have wrong. This is God's word that is true and forever and never withers or never fades, right? And so we can speak those things lovingly and carefully. We fear God more than we fear consequences from this world, right? So who's the person that can dwell with God in, in his holy tent? It's the person who 
can call vile, vile, and can honor, fear of the Lord. So I think, I think John 8 all the time, I probably think it every week, I think it is one of the most, in, in one of the most helpful interactions that Jesus had for our culture today. And so in John 8, Jesus is, um, there's this woman that's been caught in adultery, and I, I think honestly a trap was set for her by the religious leaders, which is pretty busted uh, in the first place, right? And so um, she's caught in adultery, she's probably like on her knees, laying in the dirt, like humiliated, embarrassed in front of these religious leaders who are just very self-righteous people. It's such a charged moment, if y'all remember this moment, and so all of them have stones, and they're ready to stone her, which is either going to brutalize and injure her, or it's going to kill her. And I just kind of imagine that moment, like they're even playful about it. They're just like tossing the stones that they're about to toss at her and it's just so totally messed up. And then what happens? Jesus shows up. I love it when Jesus shows up, right? Jesus shows up. And so what does Jesus say to all those religious leaders who are tossing those stones? He said, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And honestly, y'all, in a total miracle moment in the gospels, the religious leaders humble themselves and they're like, you know what? I have sinned and they drop their stones. You don't really see that much in the Gospels, but in that moment, they dropped those rocks. And so they all flee, and then it's just Jesus and this lady who had been caught in adultery. And so to the woman who had been caught in sin, he said to her, go and sin no more. I think that that passage is so helpful because he's, Jesus is against the condemning, and he's also against coddling the woman who had been caught in sin. And you see both of those things together. Jesus rescued her from that terrible moment, and he rescued her from thinking that her sin was okay. Y'all, we too can love with truth, and we too can rescue people who, we can rescue people without relaxing the truth. And I think that's one thing we're so afraid of as Christians. We're so afraid of like, can I, can I do that? Like, am, uh, what, what, what would be so consequential for me if I, if I say the thing, but even if I do it in love, like it's gonna, it's gonna risk that, but we gotta fear the Lord more than we fear consequences. We gotta, we gotta love the Lord. We gotta love his word. We gotta, we gotta hold the truth, but we don't do it as self-righteous condemning people and we don't do it by coddling either. We do it like Jesus did it. Jesus transforms your truth. And here's the next one. Because uh, we dwell with God through forgiveness, life in Jesus Christ, Jesus transforms your dealings. Jesus transforms your dealings. So this is uh, from verse 4b through 5a, and this one is, is about like how, how we run our, run, our, run our own personal business, how we run the business that you lead or that you're a part of. It's how you run your finances. It's your stewardship. It's how you take care of people that are around you who have it in, in more rough than, than you do. So Jesus transforms your dealings. 4b through 5a, it says, who swears to his own hurt, and who does not change, who does not put out his money at interest, and does not take a bribe against the innocent. Right, so we saw in Psalm 9 through 14, uh, they were big time about how the wicked exploited people financially. They would see a weak person, and they're like, oh man, that person needs money, so I'm not only gonna give them money, but then I'm gonna charge them this insane interest rate that they could never pay back, but then they're gonna be under my thumb and under my control for the rest of my life, And for the rest of their lives, it was exploitative. It was wrong. David hated it. The scriptures hate it. The scriptures teach us as believers, never exploit people in poor positions. And so we, because Jesus is our king, he transforms our dealings. We don't exploit people. We don't do shady business. This verse about not putting your money in interest, it doesn't mean you can't can't, uh, buy something with interest or even even give that to someone else. What, What it really means is not plundering people who are in poor positions not making it even harder for them, 
right? And not, and not taking a bribe here means don't do stuff that could be used as a bribe against you. Um, now, because you've done shady business, somebody's got that on you and they can use it against you. Just don't do that. To be upstanding in all of your dealings. Honor the Lord in your finances, right? These aren't only sound financial tips as if they were from some finance blog. These are from transformed thinking and behavior because of Jesus. We love others. We love others. We want their best. We want to help them. We want to give them a leg up. We want to do so wisely within boundaries, but we, we don't want to just do exploitative things like the world is doing. We're not going to take the world's play on this. We're going, to, we're going to take the Lord's play on this. I think about Paul in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And, and Paul's basically fundraising at this point. He's like, hey, you guys remember the, the offering that you're going to give because the church in Jerusalem has been ransacked and they're, they're totally struggling with famine and persecution and so we're going to help them out and uh, we, we, I'm, I'm coming, I'm coming to get that offering. So when I come, be sure, be sure you're giving big for, for the kingdom of God. And so he, as he's saying that, his appeal wasn't from the law, though it could have been. He wasn't referencing, referencing Old Testament passages about about tithing or about percentages or any of that. He wasn't referencing that. His appeal wasn't from the law. His appeal wasn't from his authority either, though it could have been. He was an apostle. Um, God had anointed him for this, and so he could have appealed to that, but he didn't. Instead, he appealed to Jesus, who gave it all. And his appeal there is that Jesus paid it all. So our dealings are therefore not only not shady, but they're not cinched up either, right? There's no, there's no cap on what we would be willing to give to, to support people who are in need, especially Christians who are in need, right? Because we, Jesus has given it all for us. It's like Jesus didn't tithe his blood, so, so we would by all means give whatever the Lord might move us to give. That's his appeal. So Jesus transforms your dealings also. He, he's like, prying open our hands so that we serve, so that we give, so that we love, so that we, he's prying open our eyes so that we see needs. And he's changing our impulses so like I could take advantage here, but instead I'm gonna, I'm gonna care here. He transforms our lives. And so as we dwell with Jesus, he transforms each of us. And here's a last point today, and this, this is a repeat of the first point with a little extra on the end based on verse 5b. The last point is this. Jesus frees you to life with God and you will never be moved. And you will never be moved. So I want you to think about the feel of this moment for David. David feels, absolutely, he feels like he's going to be moved. Life is so hard. Life is so wicked. And y'all, just straight up, like, I don't think our lives are ever gonna get as hard as they were for David. Our lives are definitely never gonna get as hard as they were for Jesus. So we have these great examples in these two about how to, how to live, how to pray, how to think. So he's afraid he's gonna be moved. So what does he do? He meditates. He thinks, God, I, I, I'm with you. I wanna be with you, Jesus. You are my king. I'm gonna live like you, not like everyone else, even though he feels so alone. And so for him to say he's never gonna be moved at the end is amazing. Look at 5b, it says, he who does these things shall never be moved. And y'all, the Hebrew of that, so cool, the Hebrew of that says, never be moved ever. It's emphatic. It's not just like, hey, you, I mean, you probably won't be moved. It's like you will never be moved ever if you do these things. So what are the things? The things is dwelling with the Lord through Jesus Christ. Like, do you have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ so that you're dwelling with God through him? And then is your dwelling with him causing for you transformation? You're not saved through your transformation. You're not saved through your works. You're already saved. But then because you're so near to the king, because you're dwelling with the king, you end up being transformed and living like he lived. You're bearing his image in this world. And it's completely beautiful. It's completely beautiful. 
Beautiful. David is abiding with Jesus in his word and therefore he will never be moved. So as he's taken this deep breath, right? He's out of breath. Now he's able to stand up and think, I'll never be moved ever. Now is hard life coming at him? For sure. He's a human being before heaven. So of course hard life is coming. But he's got his eyes set now on the king. And he's got the way he lives set on the king and the way the king is teaching us to live. He's treating others the way Jesus has treated him. He's interacting with others the way Jesus interacted with other people. He's generous the way uh, Jesus has been generous to us. So not only are we not on thin ice as people who are believers, we're on eternal ground because he's made us righteous and we will never be moved ever. That is awesome. That is so powerful. So as we, as we close today, I want to I want to ask three questions for you to think about. And, and forgive me, I didn't put these on a slide. I thought about it now. I'm like, that probably wouldn't have been helpful. But let me just ask them, okay? Let me just ask them as, as we finish here in Psalm 15. Would you remind yourself that Jesus is your king and not you and not this world? Just remind yourself of that, right? When the going gets tough, when things are dark, when things are difficult, Remind yourself that Jesus is your king and not you and not this world. That is exactly what David is doing in Psalm 15. All right, he's pointing himself to the Lord Jesus who is established on God's holy hill and is our means to God. The second thing, can you move from dim in a dark place to light in a dark place? Can you move from dim in a dark place to light in a dark place. You're still in a dark place. David's still in a dark place. This world is a dark place. But can you move from dim in a dark place to light in a dark place? I think so often we're like, God's gonna move me from dim into light. And we're like, but it's still dark here. But what, but what we see here in Psalm 15 is light in a dark place. Why? Because his eyes are on Jesus. His eyes are on Jesus and then his life becomes about Jesus and spreading that light and that light in dark places. So let's move from dim to light in a dark place. And here's the third one. Can you steady from trembling like a leaf to evergreen that never moves? That's Psalm 1, right? Can you steady from trembling like a leaf in this world and thinking, I don't know, I don't know, this is so different, it's so different, and we're so outnumbered. Can you steady from trembling like a leaf to evergreen that never moves ever? And you never move because you're with Jesus. Can you, can you do that? And the answer to that question is, are you meditating like David is meditating? Are you rehearsing these questions? Are you answering rhetorical questions again? Who shall dwell in your tent he or she who's with Jesus, who shall dwell on your holy hill, he or she who knows Jesus, saved by them, abiding in them. These are the results of dwelling, abiding in Jesus with God. Let me, let me pray for us. Father, we give you glory for Psalm 15. Thank you for writing down this prayer, this meditation for us because we are often out of breath. There are people here in this room today who are super out of breath because of life. And then we think about, oh man, we have, this, we have this now equipping from you to while we're out of breath to say to you, who shall dwell with you? Who can be in your tent? And the answer is us through faith in you, Lord Jesus. Who is on your holy hill? Jesus. And then Lord, we just, 
we just play contrast from, from then on. We think, I don't want to be like this world. I want to be like Jesus. What would Jesus do in this moment? How would Jesus speak to this person? How would Jesus care for this person? How can I not be self-righteous and condemning? How can I also not be coddling, Lord? How can I not be cinching up the things that you've given, Lord, but rather open my hands? How can I not be impulsive in my flesh, but rather be led by your spirit? How, Lord, can I honor you in the ways that I speak and live in this world and care for other people. Lord, help us to be like Jesus. We want to bear his image. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for making yourself known to us and allowing forgiveness and salvation to be possible. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for the resurrection and new life, and that new life means transformation. So I pray, God, that each and every single one of us would look more like you as a result of Psalm 15, living this life, being different on purpose, not just different to be different, some self-righteous, religious, empty hollowness, but different because we walk with you and because you're our king and we're members of your kingdom through faith. We love you, Lord. If anybody here doesn't know you, I pray you'd save them. I pray they'd place their faith in you for forgiveness and know that heaven is ahead. I pray they would dwell with you. I pray they would allow you to transform them. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by the power of your spirit. Amen.